listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. So we are continuing our series, The Unveiling. And this series is looking at the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation in Greek is Apocalypse. This is not an end of world movie, which is sort of like what we expect, that term apocalypse. We talk about zombie apocalypses or an apocalyptic meteor. This is the word of the pulling back of the curtain, where we actually get to see the spiritual reality that is occurring in the world, have a bigger picture of actually what is happening. And so last week we introduced the book and we met this character, John, one of the apostles, one of the key members of the church who finds himself during a time of persecution on this island of Patmos, where at this moment of crisis, he's given this incredible vision from God. And this is his account of this vision, a vision which he is told that if you read this aloud, it's a blessing to the people of God. So I want to continue in chapter 1. And we're actually going to be reading from Revelation 1, chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So this message is given for the churches. That's a key thing we need to remember. Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. This is temple language. In the temple in Jerusalem, there were these lamps which pointed back to the Garden of Eden. That was symbolic of the tree of life. And so here we have this temple language that is now being used to describe the church, linking the temple to the church as the receptacle, the dwelling place of God's presence. Verse 13, and among the lampstands was someone like the son, like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Son of man here is God dwells in the temple. This is a son of man. This is someone like man. This is the incarnated Jesus who has risen, ascended to the right hand of the father, but he's moving amongst the lampstands, moving amongst the church. Jesus is present amongst his people. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive 
forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is an incredible revelation of Jesus. And it comes to a church who actually finds themselves, those churches mentioned, the seven churches. These are the churches which have continued with the kingdom of God. This is the churches which have carried the gospel and message of Jesus and are living that out at a time now of crisis and persecution. And this church has not pushed into renewal. Last week we talked about that one of the preconditions of renewal, revival, awakening is a crisis. But we also looked at last week that crisis doesn't always necessarily lead to renewal and revival. And these churches find themselves in a crisis, but they're also beset with heresy, with complacency, with comfortability. Some have too much money. Others, in a sense, are like poor. There's these crises that are happening to them, but they find themselves a complacent and compromised church. And what we see here is that there is something, this tension always in the people of God in between comfortability, complacency, and crisis, and renewal. This is not a new thing. This is not a dynamic that it happens in the 21st century secular church just in the West, that we fall into complacency and comfort and crises. We see that literally within a generation, John, who's one of the apostles, is still alive. And already the church has moved into this period of stagnation of crises and of decline. Why does this happen? This can happen sometimes because of how we see Jesus. And sometimes an over-familiarity can lead to a Jesus taken for granted. When we think we know Jesus, when we're used to him, when we start to take things for granted, there's this move that moves from intimacy to over-familiarity and taking him for granted. You see this in marriage. For as a minister, I've done many pre-marriage counseling where you meet with people over several months and often they are super, super excited They're totally in love. The pheromones are swirling and they just think the other person is the most delightful, wonderful creature that they can ever imagine. Part of my goal at that moment is actually preparing them for the reality of when that honeymoon period moves away and is replaced by something which is intimate. There's excitement, intimacy, and then it becomes over-familiarity. We're no longer It is about how wonderful the other person is, how much you just want to be with them, how much you just cannot get enough of them to actually domestic sort of, you know, struggles of war between Vegemite and Promite, between white crow tomato sauce and rosella tomato sauce over who parks their car first in the driveway. And you see this process where very quickly these strange things that happens to humans, not just people who are married, but these are strange things that sometimes humans treat the most disrespectfully those who they're the closest to and who love them unconditionally. 
You see people who are with people they love, their husbands, their wives, their kids, their parents, even best friends can talk to this way where in a sense you just take that person for granted and then you see them interact with that person. It's like, wow, it's quite shabby. And then you see that same person meet a complete stranger. It's like, hello, we're all wonderful and polite because we want to impress the other person. Humans, when we are not careful, love and intimacy and closeness can move into over-familiarity. And this is one of the key engines of decline in the church. When we think, yeah, we, we know Jesus, been there, done that, worked him out, we begin to domesticate Jesus. And there's a really, really interesting tension here that we need to explore in how we see Jesus And this is undone at this moment. The book of Revelation doesn't bring a calming message to pacify the anxiety of these seven churches in a moment of persecution and crisis. Actually, it does something counterintuitive, which is bring this image of Jesus, which is actually not meant to be familiar. There's actually meant to be a bit of shock and awe to this image of Jesus because I think the churches have become over-familiar with him. And when we become over-familiar with someone... We take them for granted. So understanding Jesus, there's these two tensions. We have a little illustration to explain this. And there's two words here. Imminent means close. Imminent means present. Imminent means that it's almost someone who is like you. And there's this element that in the Gospels, we see the imminent Jesus. This is the incarnated Jesus who has come close, who walks with his disciples. We see these human emotions in him. We see him eating, this sense of humor, this sense of frustration, this sense of hurt and pain. We see him interacting with crowds. We see him with a family. This is a Jesus who's very much like us. And that's absolutely crucial and key. God comes close and shows us his love for us by descending from the heavens, giving up what he had there to show his love for us and incarnates into human form. But then also there's this transcendent. Transcendent means beyond us. This beyond us Jesus who is a bit distant and and we don't fully understand him and he's mysterious and he wraps himself in clouds. This is the Jesus that we see in this heavenly place at the right hand of God. And a correct view of Jesus is holding these two views in tension. When he's too close, we begin to make him too much like us. A Jesus who we're overly familiar with, all of a sudden we'll start having the same views as us. We'll start having the same political affiliations. We'll start being the same nationality of us. And you see this, you see those images of Jesus who looks like some sort of Swedish hippie. And this making of Jesus into our own images. And you see that all over the world. I've got, you know, I used to have a file of images of, you know, the Japanese Jesus, the Chinese Jesus, the African Jesus, the Polynesian Jesus. And there's a sense where, again, there's something that is special about that. Some of those pictures actually, I think, are really special because they actually show that Jesus incarnates into our cultures. But at the same time, we can domesticate Jesus. And there's a wildness to Jesus. 
And that's where the transcendent Jesus is. What has happened, I think, here is it's like that middle balance point has gone too far, too close to the imminent Jesus, as the apostles have spoken about, probably the stories of Jesus walking with them. And almost what this image is doing is moving it back into a healthy, creative tension between the two. We have the person here who is like a son of man. Jesus, who is walking amongst the churches. We have these descriptions where you can almost feel his hair. It's like white, like wool. Yet at the same time, this other imagery, which is shocking and strange, like the fact that he has seven stars in his hand, that his voice is like the sound of rushing waters, that his feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. This is something which reminds us of the transcendent Jesus. And so it is key to hold the intention that Jesus who is like us, but the Jesus who is also not like us. The Jesus who is close because he loves us, but also the Jesus who has some distance from us so that we can't hold him tightly and bend him to our will. And this is so key. Renewal can only happen. Renewal can only flow from crises when Jesus is at the center, when we get Jesus right. Get our view of Jesus right and we get everything right. The blessing of this book of Revelation is actually the unveiling shows us who Jesus really is. And what we see is Jesus is above all. We see the majesty, the lordship of Jesus, who is the right hand of the Father in the control room of the universe, who is in charge of everything. And at moments like this, we see, we need to hear that Jesus is a cosmic king, that he's in control. When we have a new cycle like we have at the moment, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a world wrestling with things like racial justice, when we see in the midst of a world where we see tensions between nations, China and India, Turkey and, and, and France and Greece, there's all these flashpoints in the world at the moment and economic bad news. Yet, we must be reminded that this Jesus is control of everything. And this Jesus is cosmic king, but he's also cosmic priest who comes to minister to us. He is above all powers and ideologies and political platforms. He is above them all. But he's also a priest who has opened up the way to God. And this imagery of woolly hair, this imagery points to God in Daniel 7. There's this link between the vision that Daniel has in Daniel 7 to actually what we're seeing here. This is continuous with what the scriptures always pointed towards. God coming amongst us, going to the right hand of the Father who is now in control of the world. And these images that we find in the Old Testament are put together in this new and incredibly unseat and settling way almost at this point because we need to be reconnected with Jesus as he really is. And the churches that we find in the book of Revelation have become complacent and compromised because they've forgotten these key truths about Jesus. And I believe there's this moment where if your faith has become stagnant, if your faith has become, you know, rote and habitual, there's an element that you have lost touch with who Jesus really is. And this sort of shaking that's happening in the world sometimes also needs a shaking in our understanding of who Jesus is 
so that we recognize where our actual loyalty lies. And so this Jesus that we see at the beginning of the book of Revelation has a purpose. He is coming. And we explored last week, like there is, a, there is the truth that Jesus is coming at the end of the age. That passage I read as I introduced this and I talked about Hebrews, it said that we need to keep encouraging each other, not giving up the habit of meeting together, all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the day when Jesus returns. So there is a time when Jesus will return to fully bring about his kingdom of God on earth and reign here on earth as heaven and earth are knitted together again. But also there is Jesus who keeps coming in every age. So Jesus has in this image, this this imminent close Jesus and this transcendent wild Jesus all in one means that there's two things happening. One, that Jesus is coming to judge the world. And again, that's something in us. That's the transcendent Jesus who's coming and anything which is not aligned with Jesus, anything which pushes back against Jesus, any system or structure or attitude or sin within us, anything corporate or individual which resists the way of God, which is built around human flesh and systems of the world that are not aligned with the kingdom of God, Jesus is coming to judge them. They will fall. But also... Jesus is coming to save us, to save the world. And one way to understand this, because it seems contradictory, is that the presence of God, when it turns up, anything which resists God, it will come against. Anything or anyone who hungers for God, it will be like a ministering farm. Jesus doesn't change. Jesus' coming simply reveals what is aligned with Jesus and what is not. This is good news and a warning all wrapped into one thing, and that is the risen Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing in this image and what we see the message of Revelation is, is that Jesus is bringing heaven down to earth. The kingdom that Jesus announced was breaking out when he got up in that synagogue at the, in Luke's gospel and said, you know, the year of Jubilee is here, that they, God has come close when he read from the book of Isaiah, that coming close of heaven to earth is coming. And we see that in Jesus. And we as the church are actually called to partner with Jesus as he brings heaven down to earth. The unveiling doesn't just show us heaven and earth. It shows us Christ who holds the two together. This is Christ of the overlap who is living in earth, in earth, in earth and heaven at the same time. Jesus inhabits the space between heaven and earth. And when we keep our eyes on him, when we follow him, when we worship him, we, the church, bring heaven down to earth. I just want to just put up again the end end a little bit and just refer to something because what is then our response to this? And we see our response to the coming of this Jesus who's wild and close, imminent and transcendent. We see the proper response in what happens with John. So in verses 17 in 18, we see this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades, which is the Greek word for the place of the dead. Jesus is risen. Jesus went to the cross. 
and died and rose on the third day and now lives this resurrected life and that resurrection power is flowing into the world. John falls at the feet of this image of this vision of the risen Jesus because that is the only appropriate response. When we meet God in the flesh like this, transcendent and imminent, close and intimate, but wild and mysterious, justice and love, all in one person. The only response, in a sense, is a kind of death. But it's not an eternal death. It's a death to our projects, our flesh, our plans, our rebellion, our anger, our hatred, everything within us that opposes God. But then the beautiful act too of God, the risen Jesus, placing his hand upon John, lifting him up, telling him after this quite seemingly could be conceived as frightening vision of Jesus, what does this Jesus say to him in this intimate touch? Do not be afraid. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And that hand that reaches on John's shoulder is the hand of invitation to the resurrection life and the kingdom of God, which will prevail for all eternity. So in 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, when our world has been shaken, when we can't even meet like we used to, we're now, it's like, man, we're three, over three months into this thing. How long is this going to go for? In the midst of that shaking, when we are in possibly only act one of this play, when we worry about the economy, when we worry about instability in the world, at that moment, this image of Jesus reaches his hand out to us and offers eternal life, offers the hand of partnership for us to partner with him where we as the church At this time, even in lockdown, even in isolation, even in this restricted kind of life, we still can be the people of God. And this risen Jesus coming down from heaven to earth is present amongst Red Church. He's present in between our houses. He's present where you're meeting now. He's present even when you're watching something on a little screen in your home. He is present amongst us and he is bringing heaven down to earth and will turn this moment for good when we fall at his feet and surrender and allow ourselves to be lifted up and reach out to that hand to partner with Jesus. At a moment when the Western church is complacent and comfortable and in crisis, we need to see Jesus as he really is, to follow him and to worship him. Let's pray. Jesus, we receive this image that we see, this unveiling in the book of Revelation. We recognize that when we read this, as we have just done now, publicly, there is a blessing. And all these years later, we again read, have read this out publicly today, preaching your word, opening your scripture. This is going through cybernetic cables. Yet your spirit can still move. So we pray, Father, at this moment, 
for you to correct our view of you, which we have the tendency to remake you into some sort of domesticated Jesus, where you start to look too much like us, where we take you for granted. If that is what has happened, Father, re-center our vision of you. If some of us see you, God, as distant and far and scary and dangerous and even uncaring, we also pray for that to be readjusted, where we recognize you as the Son of Man who walks amongst the churches, who is present and close and loving. Jesus, we at this in the world at this time, we need your justice, but we also need your love. And there's so many people in the world who go for love but fall short of justice, and so many people go for justice but fall short of love. We need them held together at this time. Father, more than ever, we need to have that image of you amongst your church in this time of a scattered church, a decentralized church, a church which feels, in a sense, frustrated as we see more cases in our state. But we also realize that you're in charge. Heaven is coming down to earth. So we pray that your Holy Spirit may come amongst us now. The Spirit of Jesus may be poured out into our houses, into our church, into our city, into our nation, into the world at this time. Help us to see you as you really are and may the Spirit wash away all those misconceptions about you. May the Spirit open our spiritual eyes to see you, the risen Jesus, in your name. Amen.